Hey everyone, Danny and Ashley here. And for today's podcast, we're going to try to stay a little bit more focused because we have a guest and we're going to kind of talk about something we don't really normally talk about. This is more of a modern conversation, at least, you know, I hope it's going to be <laughs> a little bit different of a conversation. And so we've got uh, Mike Sedini here from Walk the Talk America. And so, Mike, why don't you introduce yourself, talk a little bit about what Walk the Talk America is before we dive into kind of the meat of the episode. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I was looking forward to this uh, when I got the invite. But my name is Mike Sedini, and I am the founder of Walk the Talk America, which is a organization that bridges the gap between the mental health community and the firearms industry. And what we basically do is we look for innovative ways for people to get the help they need when they're in crisis without fear of consequence. Um, out of the box things, nothing that has anything to do with politics, uh, just things that we can work on no matter where you stand uh, on the gun aisle, right? Um, things that we could do now to save lives and make earth better. Make Earth better. I like well, that. <laughs> ambitious, but a good goal. Is it working? I, I hope so. I think so. Yeah. You know, we've been around since like I said, like 2018, and um, it's been a pretty remarkable journey. Um, you know, once again, like I come from a background where it's like you have a situation, you, you, we're losing 67 people a day to suicide by firearm. Um, we get caught up in, mass shootings and, and all these things. And they're all tragic, right? Negative outcomes of firearms. But while we're arguing about those things, people are dying. So I've always looked at this situation as we need to, to do something, um, a step in the right direction. And, you know, it's something where I think it's, it's spoken to everybody, you know, we, we've been pretty fortunate to where even people that are, I would say anti-gun are like, look, I'm not into guns at all, but I like what you guys are doing, you know? So that's well, and that's actually, so I'm on the board of Walk the Talk and um, it's what drew me to the organization. Um, I don't know if I've ever said that, <laughs> said my problems on this podcast, um, but I've got uh, bipolar two disorder and PTSD. And so that's kind of how I got linked up with them. But what I found really interesting about the organization is the fact that you kind of work with two totally separate communities. And, you know, one of them is the gun community and kind of reducing the stigma behind, you know, mental health, seeking mental health care. Um, because I know from personal experience, when I was diagnosed, you know, there's a long kind of drawn out mental process that you go through where you're like, do I tell people if I tell people, you know, is that going to impact uh, you know, my professionalism, my expertise within the community. Um, and then at the same time, we also deal with, you know, people outside of the gun community that maybe don't understand gun owners. Um, and so the fact that you guys kind of work with the gun community on their issues and then work with the mental health community to better understand the nuance uh, within the, the, you know, gun culture, if you will, that's what I was really interested in. And I know you guys partner with outside organizations, which is always so key, because if you're quote unquote seen as a gun organization, sometimes you're dismissed outside of our community. Yeah, that's been the so it's evolved, right? With the, the concept of Walk to Talk America when I first started was uh, focused on mass shooters. And my thought process was the firearms industry is very successful. I mean, I, I'm a third generation firearms industry professional. Uh, so I've been around it a lot. I wasn't into firearms when I first got into the business. I, I got into the business through nepotism. 
So I was basically told <laughs> when I graduated, you're going into the family business and you couldn't say no to my family. Um, you know, when I went in there, I was super green uh, because like in hindsight, my family wasn't that into firearms. I think they treated it more as like a business. So uh, for me, it was making observations. And one of the things that I noticed about the firearms industry is we we didn't want to talk about the negative outcomes of firearms because it would be weaponized against us. So like suicide, that was a thing that you didn't talk about. You know, um, you know, every time there was a mass shooting, I would see people like at a shot show or any of these shows, they would be holding their head down. You could tell that it really affected them. But then I always kind of felt like we took this stance of like, well, it's a mental health problem, right? Like pass the ball over to mental health and have them figure it out. So when I started walk the talk America, I thought, uh, oh, just like everything in life, if you have money, you can you can kind of throw money at the problem. So the idea was, I'm going to go to the mental health community, go raise money from the firearms industry, and say, look, here's all this money, you know, that you you guys were always talking about, like cutbacks and you know budget and everything like that, and how you know we we've invested less into uh, mental health and. For me, I wanted to just supplement that and be like, okay, so uh, we're going to be heroes now. Here's the money. How do we fix it? And it was really interesting because it was the mental health community that pushed me back to suicide prevention. And I couldn't wrap my head around that at first because I was like, wait, 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 I want to do that too. That's important, but I want to stop mass shooters. What are the things we could do for outreach for people that are in these positions? And they were like, Mike, finding the next mass shooter is like finding a needle in the haystack. You know, you need to focus on suicide prevention. If you focus there, you cast a wide enough net. Uh, maybe you catch the mass shooter early and these tragic events don't happen. But remember that there's a mass shooting every day with 67 people that die by suicide by firearm. So that's kind of like how it's evolved. Um, very depressing day when I couldn't just throw money at something, right? Like, like that's the easy way out. Um but it was also a blessing because what it did is it forced me to look at these, what can we do as, as a, an industry, you know, look at ourselves. We have valuable space. We have uh, educators, you know, and, and firearms trainers. Um, how do we tap into that and then start, uh, pro, you know, develop programs that everybody can get behind no matter where you stand on firearms. So that's kind of the, how it started and where it ended up. Well, I feel like, I don't know, Camila, you may have an opinion on this since you're a journalist, but it does seem like for the most part, we don't really talk about it. Although I do know that it's, I, I think it's been brought up a little bit more in the media, but, you know, we do focus on kind of the, the, the more emotional kind of component that gets, um, you know, gets people listening, gets people um, talking about, you know, violence with firearms. And I personally believe, you know, firearms, crime, firearms, violence um, and suicides are two different things, although I've heard lots of people disagree with that statement. But I was really fascinated um, by the fact that uh, Jake, who's also with Walk the Talk, um, you know, had posted something, you know, that basically um, over the past four years, 60% of all firearms deaths are suicide, 38% are homicides, and only 0.3% are connected to mass shootings. I had no idea that that number was so low. Well, I remember, um, you know, years ago, and I think sometimes, at least uh, my perspective on, you know, the kind of talking points around gun deaths is that sometimes I feel like 
you know, people conflate or skirt around the um, actual issues by saying, I, I think it was President Obama that made the comment of, you know, there are more gun deaths in states with looser gun regulations than in states with more strict regulations. But the term gun deaths is a very strategic um, term because it was uh, really interesting to me because I pulled it up. I think Washington Post put the list. And if you say gun deaths, the state of Wyoming was like number two for gun deaths in the country. But then you pulled suicide out of it and they were like number 48 or something. And so I thought that was a really kind of interesting conversation because I think we conflate the two, but they're such different issues. Hey, Danny. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> He's like, this is a super positive conversation. Yeah. I, well, I mean, this we've, we've hinted at this before on the podcast is like, that's an issue. Like the, the terminology is an issue is, and there's the specifics of like the assault weapon definition and um, there, and then there's the, the, um, you know, the homicide versus gun deaths um, issue where if you want to make this into a political thing, I think you sort of conflate them all and then push a certain agenda. Um, if you're honestly looking for a solution, I think, you know, I'm not trying to be unfair here, but I'm just trying to, I think if you're honestly looking at a solution, you have to separate those out, right? And there are firearm suicides and they're very different from firearm homicides. Um, just as a other type of suicide is different from an other type of homicide. Um, but we conflate these two. And, you know, as Camila said, that unfortunately, there is there's an absolute boatload of money in advertising in um, mass shootings. And so those have become the driver of media reporting to the point that even if like, even if you honestly went to look at if you separate out gun suicide and gun homicide and all right, let's focus. Let's and say real there was quick, a, the homicide, if I remember correctly, under the CDC includes justifiable. Yeah, there's some there's some unless they change like that. that. Um, and, and I don't want to derail the reason. Why Sorry, I, I just want to point one, that but, out. You know, like even if there, there was a parallel group to walk the talk, like, all right, walk the talks working on firearms suicide. Our group's going to work on firearms homicide. I think even that group would be have an uphill battle against them, even approaching it nonpartisanly because the conversation has been so directed towards mass shootings specifically. And as Mike put it, like there's something worse than a mass shooting happening every day in firearm suicide. And to me, that's that I hadn't heard it put that way, but that was a really um, compelling point is like, this is, this is the leading cause of like, if we want to solve like negative outcomes with firearms, that's the one to, that's the one to tackle. Well, I think it's probably, you know, one of the more difficult and you can, you know, expound on that, Mike, but it's just, it's one of those things that I noticed that it's almost like we, you know, we get a lot of people in the gun community, Danny and I get frustrated about people using the wrong language um, when trying to describe firearms technology. And Danny and I have talked a lot about kind of the history of legislation and the advent of, you know, technology-based regulation on firearms and how everyone gets really mad when we generalize, you know, firearms technology. And so then it's, kind of interesting because I feel like it's a unifying, a bad unifying thing, but the gun community and the non-gun community do, uh, you know, 
they just say mental illness and assume it is one blanket thing. Um, just like, you know, the non-gun community feels like, you know, semi-automatics, you know, are a blanket thing that we can kind of address. And I have, um, from that book that's now buried at the bottom of my pile, that's holding up my microphone, um, is that it's only three to 5% of people diagnosed with mental illness who are considered violent at all. Um, is that correct? It looked like you made a face to that. Oh, no, no, sorry. That is correct. Uh, (laughs) I was waiting to my daughter who. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, And then I was reading in the same book, The Behavioral Science of Firearms, you know, that basically said that, you know, there are times when people with mental illness, you know, there can be a spike in the likelihood of, you know, a self-harm or a violent incident, but it's also usually coupled with something else. So it's not just having diagnosed mental illness, but it's substance abuse, um, you know, domestic violence. There's like other components that increase the likelihood, but it was just fascinating to me because we talk about, you know, how many, what is it like a hundred and some you know, rifles slash shotguns are used in crimes every year. And then we want to focus on mental illness, but three to 5% of all people with mental illness are kind of considered, you know, in the category of violence. And so it's kind of interesting, the comparison of generalizing technology and generalizing mental illness all at the same time. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the best way to, that I've ever heard it put, and I say this a lot when I, I do speaking engagement is because sometimes people can't wrap their head around that, right? They're like, well, it's obviously a mental illness if somebody is uh, going to go into a school with a gun. It's like, obviously something's wrong, yes. But if you take 10 people that, like Ashley, you know, that have bipolar disorder um, and you you hand them a handgun and say, hey, this is yours, they could go their whole life without doing anything negative with that gun at all, right? They can go their whole life without I got a bear at 50 caliber above my head. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> I, uh, I could come home and catch my wife in bed with my best friend and snap, right? You see people snap in road rage all the time, right? That's not, that's not necessarily mental illness. And that's what people need to understand is that there's, it's a very nuanced conversation when you're having this. You can't, I mean, arachnophobia is considered a mental illness like fear of spiders. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's 200 different categories and that's why you can't, you know, lump it all together. Um, and, and that's really what we're here to do, right? They, uh, for me, especially on the side of uh, educating the gun industry is making people understand we have to stop being like, it's a mental illness thing, period. It's just not right. I mean, there's, it's, you got to have a much deeper conversation than that. And then once again, that doesn't, what does that solve? Like you just state a problem that, or you think it's a problem or how are we going to address it? How are we going to solve it or, or make an attempt to address it? So that's really, you know, my stance on it. And um, going back to the point, too, I, I, I have this funny story. Uh, I, I just recently spoke a few months ago at San Jose State. Um, I was invited to speak at a Moms Demand Action event, um, but it was also a veteran group out of San Jose State, which for me, like, you know, obviously you have your your super pro, like prior from the cold dead hands, people that are like, why would you speak at a mom's demand action event? And I'm like, I'll speak at any event that's going to give me the opportunity to, you know, address situations and kind of give them factual information. Um, but I was standing in front of all these students in this courtyard in San Jose State, and I'm in front of a end gun violence sign. Right. And I thought of how funny that is that somehow like people think like somehow the, the anti or people that are like gun neutral have kind of taken that end gun violence and made it theirs as if gun people 
don't want to end violence too. I was like, yeah, I want to end violence. <laughs> you know, I, I want that too. Um, but you know, I think when you hear end gun violence, our brains automatically go towards, oh, anti-gun. Right. Um, and I think these are the things that kind of create problems and add to the division. Um, and having said that, when the moms demand action, um, lady got up and spoke, she did something really brilliant. She was like, who in the crowd wants to end gun violence? And everybody, of course, you know, raised their hands, which to me is like the equivalent of saying, who, who doesn't want puppies, you know, to live? Cat people. <laughs> yeah, like. Them crossbow people, <laughs> man. <laughs> no, but like, you know, everybody loves puppies. You know what I mean? So, uh, uh, but it was really interesting because she had, they had passed out uh, pamphlets, right, with, with QR codes. And she was like, who wants to end gun violence? Everybody raises their hands. She's like, take out your phone, scan the uh, barcode number one, boom, fill that, fill your name out. I'll give you a minute. Everybody's filling their name out. She's like, scan barcode number two, do this, do that. And she's like, good. You guys just sent your senators and your governors and everything. I thought, how brilliant is that? I said, half these kids probably don't, they just want to end gun violence. <laughs> like they don't know what they're, they don't know what they're doing. Right. Like they technically don't know what they're signing up for, but she used these broad terms that everyone can kind of, it's easy. You don't really have to think, you know, you're just like, I want to go else. So. Well, and that's um, DC project, which I think I've talked about on here before, which is a nonprofit that has uh, female gun owners all across the country, regardless of, you know, political affiliation, that kind of thing. But they did a campaign not too long ago um, about the fact that, you know, people who are not pro gun, um, don't own tragic stories, you know, because I feel like there's this belief that, you know, like you said, that the gun community doesn't want to do anything, uh, you know, but the fact that the gun community actually does a lot of things, you know, in terms of reduction of safety issues and, you know, Faster Saves Lives is a new one where they're training um, for mass shootings in schools. But I feel like if, you know, if nobody believes gun owners want to make change, I think that gun owners could lead the charge in trying to discuss the nuance of mental illness because it doesn't seem like it's something that anybody really wants to talk about. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, that, that's been my biggest issue from day one because, uh, you know, the firearms industry uh, accepted me with open arms because when I walked in, trust me, I was like, kid from new jersey like you know I, I grew up in new jersey and san francisco i grew up in the two poorest places to like literally be around firearms and i saw how great the people were in the firearms industry i mean there you know, was a lot of making fun of me and so because i didn't know anything but i thought like here's these people that value family life like you know i saw it like i saw it in in the people you know when they say like the gun industry loves when there's a mass shooting because sales go through the roof. That's not what I saw. I actually saw like gun manufacturers, like crying, upset at shows. Um, you know, uh, on a side note, not that this matters when there's a mass shooting, but like from an, from an industry professional standpoint, mass shootings that anytime there's a spike in gun sales because of a tragic event, that's actually not healthy for the gun industry because we, we, it, it doesn't help with our forecasting. You see what I'm saying? Like what you want as a business, you want steady, right? You want to know where you're going with it. So these spikes also come with great downfalls. Like when it, when it crashes and goes back to normal, and then it's hard to get a, a read on anything, but back to your point, uh, if you listen to most firearms industry experts or 2A community members that are like super pro 2A, they see 
okay, it's suicide and the rest are those damn gangbangers, right? Like that's what you'll hear. And my thing is, is okay, if we've identified that and we know it, we should be the first ones there, right? We should be our own first responders to address those things. Um, get out in front of it. Get where the alcohol industry got with DUIs. Let's not be the tobacco industry, right? Nobody blames Johnny Walker when somebody gets behind the car and does something horrific. You know, they blame the driver. Um, and I'm not saying that's the end all answer. People are still going to hate guns, which I I actually completely understand because most people that hate guns, they just don't want to see people die unless they have some sort of agenda politically, you know, uh, but yeah. most people that don't like firearms just don't want to see people die. And I can totally like meet you on that Island because I don't want to see people die either. But I feel like the years of us ignoring these issues has really worked against us in the court of public opinion. Now you're going to have your people that are like, I don't care what people think about me, but I care about what people think about my industry. Um, I don't want to be part of that where people say, he doesn't care or they just only care about money. Um, I think that if we tackle these issues and I think that we, we have the valuable space and we have the captive audience, right? Because everybody that takes their life with the firearm got that firearm from somewhere, right? It's, it's our customers and we address it. Um, I think we really could get ahead of it. And then in that process of getting ahead of it, I feel like we can educate those that were non-believers in, in the industry. Um, I've had plenty of times where I've been, that's the fun part of walk talk America is literally like I get invited to things that I probably would have never been invited to and get to see these different walks of life. So if I'm doing things in the mental health community, um, there are many times when people they've never heard of what we do. And then they're look, you know, they're looking at the card that we put in the box that has the mental health screenings. And they're like, you get, gun companies to put this in their box. And I'm like, yeah. And it's really cool because then there becomes this, like, that's amazing. I'm now going to listen to you. You know what I mean? Um, and you, you kind of create that bond with somebody who's working to save lives that maybe is a little gun ignorant. And then I'm on speed dial now, right? When something happens or something tragic, or they have a question like people from Mental Health America or NAMI or any of the other mental health organizations that I work with, they call me. Okay, why should I not get behind this bill to ban this? I'm asking you, Mike. You know what I mean? Um, and I love the fact that they're making that phone call first before making an emotional decision. Because I can tell them whether or not they listen to me, it's two different things, but at least I can inform them, here's where it gets dicey, right? This is where the, the arguments start to come in. Um, and their guard, the guards down, right? So they're, they're taking in that information. If we want to educate, you know, people in the gun industry always say, or the gun community, if people just took the time to learn or to, you know, understand us, they would, they would get it. This is how you do it, you know, by action, by showing that you care and you're sincere. Sorry, I can go on for you. Oh, no, I think it's <laughs> what's so interesting is in the, um, in our last episode, which now I'm, you know, dictating the order of our episodes. So somebody, 
Camille and Danny make note of that because we're so bad at <laughs> tracking that. But, you know, we just talked about, you know, scholarship and whether or not people actually want to know, you know, more information, but then also, you know, how we as historians, uh, you know, and public historians and material culture people, you know, why people don't call us and how to get people to call us. And it's like, you actually, <laughs> we just need to be Michael Zadini. <laughs> because, you know, it's at least happening with you. So it is nice to know that, there are, you know, avenues where people are willing to have a conversation regardless of where you sit on the political debate. Yeah. You, you know, one of the really cool things about it too, is the relationships that I developed with organizations that I'll give you like a couple different examples, like liberal gun club and liberal gun owners. Right. Um, I've really enjoyed bringing them into the fold because when I'm talking to, you know, in the mental health community, most people are left of center. Right. And, um, you know, for me, it's like they probably want to talk to people that they feel comfortable with. Right. Like the Duck Dynasty guy doesn't always relate to somebody like me who grew up in San Francisco and New Jersey. Right. So it's it's great when you can kind of say, all right, you're you're willing to take in this information and you want to learn. Um, let me, I have the perfect person for you. You know what I mean? I think you're going to really like this person because like every other view might line up perfectly but they have a different perspective on firearms. So uh, I've really enjoyed that because there's a lot of times when people are like, I didn't even know this group existed. Once again, you know, we don't need to paint gun owners as this monolithic, like one type of person, you know, they're, they're, you know, that's what the beauty of the gun industry is. And a lot of people don't know that is there's so many different types of people in the firearms industry. So. And I think you alluded to something in your, a couple of times now that um, is really interesting to me is that, you know, as you said, the gun industry has kind of got caught, been caught in this place, partly through their own actions of like being seen as not wanting to help when that's not really the, the true version. That's they, they want to help, but um, they're so guarded about it. Cause I feel like if they even admit anything at all, they'll just, it'll be ammunition turned against them. But I feel like, there's like these really hyper-partisan segments that like either if you, the, if the spectrum is a percentile range of a hundred and there's like 3% on either end, that's like hyper, hyper-partisan. Um, and the person that's at like maybe even the 90th percentile on one end of the spectrum and the 10th percentile on the other end of the spectrum or whatever is the right way to use percentiles. I'm never quite sure. Um, but at those two ends, like once you get away from like the very edges, like you really rapidly get into this place where people want relatively the same outcome. There's just very different viewpoints on how it's like effective. And the lesson, this was a lesson for me recently. Like, so as like, I'm, I think fairly can say a gun guy, like this is my life pretty much is I study history. I, my hobbies include hunting, like and shooting like a lot. So I'm pretty steeped in it. And so after um, one of the mass shootings, I shared a couple articles, sort of out of frustration of like misinformation that I was seeing out there. I shared a couple articles of things that have been like really compelling to me about the problem of mass shooting, sort of like, and this is kind of how I, I work. And then like, here's some empirical stuff, right? Here's like, not just like an emotional, like I think empirically, here's some interesting things about like, you know, how these things spread through like media contagion or um, why it's just not always so easy to say that, hey, if we go after ARs, this is a, that'll solve this problem. 
So I'm sharing this and like, and my idea is by sharing this, maybe I'll inform a couple of people and not that engaging on social media is it's useful. I, that's a different episode. Um, but anyway, sharing this with the, the, in the grand philosophy of things, maybe a couple of people read this and start to think compelling about like, Hey, I want the solution too. Here's a perspective I didn't see, but what that came across as, and I, and this, somebody who's sort of very left of center on my feed got after me about was like, Hey, you never expressed like that. You, you just started sharing why these weren't really a big deal. And you never expressed like that, that this was a really big problem. And I, to me, I was expressing that problem. Like, this is a problem. Hey, here's what I think could help if we started doing some of these things rather than just shout at each other about, you know, whether an AR should have a bayonet lug or not. And like, that's not helping. But that sort of, that version of sharing that I thought was being helpful was actually seen as both me and this other person want the same thing. Like we want that. We don't want the mass shooting. We don't want the violence. We don't want the negative outcomes like you mentioned, but in me sharing it in that way, I'm we're sort of talking towards the same thing, but we're like really talking past each other. And I think that gets a lot of that energy then gets used up by the people that are hyper-partisan. So that mom's demand event, you know, where she's like, Hey, you guys want to end violence. Texas to their center. Those kids don't know what they're texting. They're texting, you know, a statement read up by mom's demand. Um, mom's. Yeah. And I, I guess I've, I've lost my sort of the connection to your original point, but it was this idea that I think a lot of the industry shares more than they think um, with the other side on this. And up to a certain point, I think there's some, like you said, there are some hyper-partisans that are just not going to come back. But a big chunk of that other so-called other side shares the same opinion we do. They're just probably misinformed about how to get there. And when we go out and do what I did and share like, hey, here's data, do this, don't do this. Like that comes across as really uncaring. So I did the exact wrong thing. Um, and now I'm never going to share another post on Facebook again. <laughs> you know what though, like in all fairness, and I, I always say this to people, especially when I'm talking to, um, to the, the mental health community, um, I'll get invited to speak at events and basically it's just it's talking about walk the talk America and how it started and how it got to where it is and how the ideas came. But, um, I didn't even know when I first got into the firearms industry, I had no idea that people could hate you because you work in the firearms industry. Does that make sense? Like I, I didn't, I was so naive. Um, cause I, I never experienced it. Right. Like the people I hung around with, they didn't, there were firearms in my community. It's just who had them it was mostly your neighborhood pharmacist or somebody who was a wannabe gangster or something like that. Right. Like you, you just, there wasn't hunting rifles and people that, you know, admitted they had firearms for protection. But um, I remember a couple of times, like when I first got out on the road, I was a, tra a traveling sales rep um, and I go and meet with gun shops all over the country and I go to like local bars. And, you know, I remember this one instance where I met, I thought probably my future wife, like this girl was beautiful. And I was like, okay, like, and we talked for like an hour and finally she's like, what do you do for a living? And I was like, uh, I'm a, I'm in the firearms industry. I import guns into the U S and and I might as well told her I was like a merchant of death. Like the whole vibe shifted. She's like, oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like, I can't talk to you. And I'm like, well, wait a second. I'm like, I sell firearms legally. It's not like I sell them, you know, <laughs> out of the back of a car to children. Um, 
but it got it escalated to the point where she like called over a bouncer because I had said <laughs> I made this comment that she was like nobody needs a firearm. I was like, well, you're you go to Ohio State, honey. Like you're probably in a fraternity or a sorority. Um, maybe you're you're fortunate enough to grow up where you don't. It's I said like somebody that maybe from Compton or somebody like that. They may need a firearm for protection because cops won't even go there. You know, I'm trying to like make her see something and she immediately grabs the first bouncer and she's like you should hear what he just said here and the guy's like ma'am when you were from where i am up from you need a firearm for protection of cut you're like he's he's right and i'm like ah but then i realized okay this is exactly why um i guess people in the 2a culture can get defensive right and they don't they don't express because when you think people are talking about you in a way or you just you've been called um, baby killer or bloods on your hands. Uh, and it's happened over the years. You can shut down. I mean, that's very possible to just shut down. And then, you know, what do you resort to? You're just like, okay, facts, <laughs> right? Like right. Here, here's the facts. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been a balance of trying to show that compassion. Cause you're right. Like sometimes, it can be misconstrued that, Hey, like you don't care. You're just spitting this out. You're not, but that's the beauty of walk talk America, right? was like, look, we're not only pointing out a problem, but we're offering solutions. And I think that that's what helps. Um, because when I'm in a room full of people and some of them, I know might not be fond of the firearms industry. Uh, when I show them what we do and the things that we're doing, I think it helps them kind of get over that hurdle. Like, okay, this, this is great. Like there's some firearm, there's hope there, right? Like, I think that's what people want to see. Well, and that actually is, um, you know, a good transition, which, um, so one thing when I was reading that book um, that I thought was really interesting was that there's been several kind of studies done um, on solutions and, you know, ways to reduce gun deaths. And I thought it was really interesting. I was texting Danny about this, you know, not too long ago, but basically that they, and, and these are psychiatric organizations, not, you know, gun owners, you know, groups doing the studies, but basically that, you know, one of the big things that we talk about is better access to mental health care, which I think is super important, you know, regardless, just in general, people need better access to mental health care, good mental health care, because that's also, you know, its own thing. But then um, I thought it was interesting that they concluded that, access to better mental health care will probably do little to nothing to stop the bottom line of gun violence. Um, because, you know, you're not dealing with, you're, you're dealing with a lot of, you know, gang related crime, you're dealing with a lot of homicide, you know, organized crime. And the real big, you know, issue is suicide. And, you know, so, and, and so I thought that was really interesting because they're like, everyone wants to reduce gun violence, gun crime. Um, but I had no idea, like, I never thought about it like that. Cause it sounds great. Yeah. Access to better mental health care, which I mean, never can hurt, but I thought it was interesting to put in the perspective, um, of these two different organizations. Um, one was what 2014, one was 2015 saying that, yes, that's great. But at the same time, don't expect that to bring necessarily a return on your investment when you're talking about mass shootings or, you know, gun crime in general, um, which I thought was interesting. And I, you know, that kind of wants me to transition to like, what, what are you guys doing? What can we do? Cause I think there's a lot of lip service that goes on out there, um, to real solutions. Um, but like as someone, you know, with a mental illness, I hear a lot of the lip service and like, well, we can sign this or do that. And I'm like, that's not like personally and anecdotally, that wouldn't help in my scenario. Like if I was going through something. And so I know you guys have some concrete things that you guys are doing. So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So the very first thing that we started, um, um, so when, okay, going back to the story of like when I had the most depressing day of my life, when I found out that Mental Health America was like, look, we can write programs together and come up with innovative ways. And I was like, no, no, I just want to fund the things that you're already doing, the outreach. And I remember I took the position paper and um, I had highlighted all the different things or they, they were giving these scenarios with mass shooters. Like they talked about uh, Jared Loftner, you know, the, the guy from Arizona that that shot Gabby Giffords in the head. Um, and they said, you know, we're not saying we could have stopped him, but we're saying that if we had this money and we could have done outreach and maybe there could have been a different outcome. Right. I took that like literal. I was like, okay, like they had things in mind, right. They didn't, they were just talking in broad strokes. Um, but so that was very depressing. I had to go back to my board and tell them, Hey, like, you know, there's really no answers out there. And I remember somebody saying like, well, anyone could just give money to the mental health community. Like we're a firearms industry, you know, group that has gotten together to try to tackle this problem. And, uh, they, you know, obviously when the board meeting was done, I wanted to vomit because I had gotten everybody excited about what could be like the possibilities. Um, but I remember the first thing that I implemented was, uh, you know, I partnered with mental health America and we were going to work on language stuff. And, um, one thing I was fascinated is by their mental health screenings because they were free and anonymous and there was like 13 of them on there and they had everything from PTSD to bipolar disorder to depression, right. Um, alcohol abuse, all these things, substance abuse. And, uh, I was like, I wonder if there's a way that I can incorporate that into the firearms community just to get the conversation started. Um, and, and my daughter had walked into the room, um, and she was, she was like, dad, I think I suffer from anxiety. And, uh, I grew up in a family where if like you said, I think I suffer from anxiety. Like if I would have said that aloud to like my grandfather or my uncle, or even my grandmother, they would have said, I'll give you something to have anxiety about and keep it moving. Right. Like that's, that's what we did. Um, you know, it's that old school Italian, New Jersey thing. Like, but with my daughter, it was like a very teachable moment. Cause I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I know where she can go and get, you know, like take the anxiety screening. So I was like, uh, sweetheart, like take the, this, you know, the company that, you know, my, my daughters watched me and they knew that I was working with mental health America. And in the beginning, I, this is all I talked about, right. It was walk to talk America. I think I was driving my family crazy. Um, but, uh, I said, take the, take the screening for anxiety, go on the website and, you know, don't worry about how you answer it. Just answer it honestly. No one's going to, it's free and anonymous. No one's going to come knocking at the door. And uh, she, a couple of days later, she came in to give me the mail. And she's like, dad, I took the thingy. That's how they, you know, I took the thingy. I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, the thing for anxiety. Like, oh, okay. And she smiled and she said, I only have mild anxiety. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's a good thing. Right. And she's like, yeah, yeah I feel a lot better. And she's like, actually, I'm going to give this to a couple of my friends. Boom. That's when I hit. I was like, wow. Okay. So I started making these bands that had uh, free and anonymous mental health screenings, Walk Talk America. You know, I started passing them out at gun shows and it was crazy the response I'd get because like it was the first time that that mental health was introduced to like SHOT Show and NRA. And what I found was like people were stopping at the booth and just unloading. Like you work in mental health and firearms. Like it was such a, you know, it's like their head wanted to explode because there was no, and um, it was crazy. I would get hugs. People would cry. They're like, this is amazing. And we really had no concept 
You know what I mean? Like we, that was the first thing I threw out there, but then it evolved to the next level, which was, um, I thought at the time I owned Eagle imports, which was a firearms importer. And I had like five different firearm brands. Um, basically as a, a master importer, I would import firearms from countries that weren't big enough to have their own manufacturing and then handled their customer service, their sales, their marketing, this turnkey operation for them. Um, I went to them and I was like, hey, do you mind if I put this in this card in the box of all firearms? And uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they said yes and had no clue. They just trust <laughs> me. <laughs> right? Like, Green light. Were, yeah, where I was like thinking down the, the line going, okay, am I going to get in trouble for this? Let's see. Right. Cause I didn't know how NSSF or NRA would, you know, maybe they're like, what are you doing, Mike? Like, why, why are you, why are you taking on this subject? Um, but anyways, uh, so then we started putting them in the boxes and we had 60 to 80,000 guns going out. And the response was amazing. Like we would get people to call the office or like, I just bought a Bursa and they're like, uh, it came with this card. And I just want to thank you for putting it in there. It's awesome. Like that's, they just wanted to say thank you that someone was addressing it. Um, so that was the first real, like real life example of like kind of touching firearms owners and leaving it out there for them to, to say like, okay, I can take this screening just to see if there's something wrong. Right. And you don't have to be in crisis to take a screening. You could take a screening if you're, you're feeling great. Hey, just to kind of see where you're at and to make sure everything's okay. It's just like a checkup, right? Um, so that was the very first program that we we started. And then I started to realize, wow, like that's valuable space, right? Uh, gun owners trust the firearms community, whether it's through trainers, gun shops, right? I used to always joke around. <laughs> I was like gun shops. And it's not like that anymore. It's the gun shop for everybody. But it used to, I used to call it the white man's barbershop. Because like when I was on the road and I would travel to these gun shops, there would be like eight guys in there that weren't going to buy a damn thing that were just sitting in the gun shop talking to the owner or the people behind the counter. And, um, you know, to me, I was like, okay, we're a community where vets, first responders, people that are in the 2A community, they love to hang out at these places. And I was like, they pretty much probably trust the information that's being passed from the gun shop or the firearms trainer uh, to them. So we started to get the card and you know, gun shops. We made one for trainers, firearms trainers. Um, that was our first launch of, you know, the big initiative to kind of get people talking. And to this day, like I'm very proud of where it's come, you know, where it started and where it's going. So this is the actual card. I know that you people are listening. So there's a card that has, you know, the, the mental health link on it. And then, you know, you have companies like Arms Corps that put it on the side of their ammo boxes. Uh, Ruger just came on board to put the link in their manual. Um, so now you're starting to see the firearms industry say like, okay, we can do this. Like we can push this message out and have this link and get people excited about, you know, check up from the neck up, right? Like that type of the mentality. Um, but then one of the other things I'm super proud of, uh, is I realized that there was, there was a disconnect, obviously, between the two communities, and most of it was self-imposed, right? So when I was meeting with mental health people, I, I found that they were super, they're like, look, I don't want to take guns from people. I just want to understand how, I want to understand the gun industry so I can talk to them about being responsible and all this stuff like that. So, uh, and on the flip side of that, there was, there was people in the firearms industry that were like, where do I go to get help? Or I don't want to get help. I'm afraid to go get help because I don't want to lose my guns. 
So we developed the cultural competence courses where we give CEU credits to mental health clinicians or anybody that came through and took the course. Um, and that was one of the things like, you know, you start there, it was the first of its kind. There was now they're starting to pop up and it's cute, right? Like to me, it was like, we were the originals to do it. And now people are doing it. But when it comes to like saving lives and helping people, like I always say this all the time, like I'd be happy to not do walk talk America, like go get a regular job. Right. Cause there's nothing, there's nothing sexy about this. There's no money to be made. Um, so saving lives isn't proprietary in my opinion. So if I can help you or advise on your cultural competence course, then I'm going to do that. But we were the first ones to start it. Um, and it was great because in the beginning we were throwing them at gun ranges and we'd have like 20 clinicians show up. Um, half of them never even touched a firearm. Uh, and really we had this amazing momentum and uh, you know, we're, we're going to start doing them in different States and everything like that. And then COVID. Right. And it was like the end of the world. Um, I thought no one's going to want to do this online. Like the whole beauty of it is being in the gun range and, touching and feeling firearms. I was completely wrong. <laughs> like when we moved the course online, like the attendance, uh, just to give you an example, like the very first gun one-on-one cultural competence course we did was like in an October and we had a second date in December, right. For people that couldn't make it. I think our first course had like 80 people in it. Um, which I was blown away by that because keep in mind, I was used to 20, 20, 20, you know what I mean? Just from the the live. And then when we threw it the second time, I think we had like close to 270 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. So right. like you, you saw it, you know, like then that's all word of mouth. You know what I mean? Like that's people saying like, oh, you should take this course. So like, those are some of the things that were like the action items that we're doing uh, plans, you know, to, to really get people involved and, educate them at the same time by making them also feel welcome um, and welcome both ways. Right. So you have firearms owners that get the, the flyer in the box and they see that it's from people like Ashley and Coley Noir and myself. Right. They're like, Oh, these are, these are people that like make their living in firearms. Like they're not going to do anything to jeopardize my gun rights because that would be insanity right like that's how i feed my family um but then they're like okay free and anonymous mental health screenings um it came in the box say of a ruger or an arms corps right it's like okay i trust this i'll go through this process and then on the flip side in the mental health community you have these people that just want to help people but they don't know how because they don't know how to relate to gun people or they don't want to be exposed you know I, if i had a dollar for every mental health clinician that said you know, I want to have a relationship with my local gun shop, but I, I'm afraid to go in there because I don't know nothing about firearms and I can't fake it, you know? So I was like, okay, let's, let's find ways though, that we can, we can make that happen. All right. So one of the cool things about this card, if, if you go through our cultural competence course and you, you, you earn the badges um, and you, you really feel like you're in that position to where you're like, okay, I'm two a friendly. I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to judge anybody about firearms. Um, the card in the front has the free anonymous mental health screenings, getting the gun owners to think about it. But on the back, we leave the space and most mental health clinicians that take our course go through and they'll stamp the back of these cards. Um, and then we get them into the gun shops or they'll go to their local gun shops and just be like, Hey, I'm your local, I'm a local clinician. That's two way friendly. All right. Now we're creating our own network of people that are all on the same page the gun shop actually has somebody that they can call 
you know, bounce ideas off of, or maybe even talk about instances. Like we had a customer come in, you know, this is how we handle it. Like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a working relationship to where they can solve problems and maybe, uh, you know, take it a step further to be able to get their customers help. And then on the flip side, giving a place for the customers to feel comfortable going to get help. Because if you leave it up to the, you know, if we're talking the old NRA days, right? Like eight years ago, mental health clinicians are all gun grabbers waiting to get your guns. Like that was the narrative, you know, and they made a lot of money off of that narrative, like creating the enemy, like always around the corner that's trying to get you. Um, but, you know, we're seeing that tide change. So that's the good thing about this. That's, and I mean, that's, I guess I have two things. Um, the first being that's something that's really encouraging here. Cause I, you know, I've been mostly a bystander to this, like watching this unfold somewhat as a professional, somewhat as just a personal, like I like guns, I enjoy shooting, like my both halves of my life watching this unfold. And like, as we've alluded to before, like something bad happens, everybody says mental health. And then the things they do are like a big disconnect. And there was that divide, like, you know, if I was having an issue and you're asking me to permanently give up, you know, hunting and going to the three gun match every month. Well, I'm just going to shut up about it. Cause I love those things. And those are like an outlet for me. So I'll just keep those versus actually talking to somebody. Cause we've created that fear that if I go talk to somebody, I lose those two things forever. And there have been some initiatives proposed that would cause people to lose those things forever. And those are like in the name of mental health, the absolute worst thing you can do. So that's a, I guess a soapbox point that everybody here well understands. The second one is you've created the cards for gun shops, gun manufacturers, ammunition. How about gun museums? I'll print up a thousand of these and stick them in the galleries. I don't, you know, we'll take that cost. I I just need the PDF. (laughs) Yeah, I I can make that happen. You're talking to the right guy. (laughs) It's like, Danny, you could update the conversation corner. It's like we could do that. I've been trying to push that for a while. <laughs> well, it's, that's not true. I wanted to, I pushed it when I was still there and then I didn't push anymore when I left, but that would be a good another topic. Cause we've got 3d printed guns. We, I don't well, want to, we, I mean, we could, we could talk about this in that corner. We could also just like, we could make these things available in the museum space so that even if somebody didn't make it that far into the museum, cause we hear all the times that our galleries are overwhelming and there's just a lot of stuff to see and they're, they're not going to see our one Vincent Van Gogh. Right. Label. Exactly. So we could like, we could put this in, we have the ability to do this at scale and probably get it in other firearms museums. Cause I think the nice thing about, the museum um and we talk, again going back to last episode so now we have an order we talked about how not a lot of people necessarily call us when you know people don't call the cfm when there's to talk about policy really um but people trust us like our visitors trust us um and we are seen as this impartial source i think you know hey here's 200,000 people a year that come through our galleries so you know Here's an opportunity to share with that 200,000 people. Um, you know, uh, here's your screening card and here's people that are not going to be judgmental about the second amendment or about firearms on the back of it. And I think, you know, in the museum world, we know pretty much every other firearms museum in the country that exists. Um, so yeah, we can get this a lot of places if we put our minds to it. Well, and it'd be something, sorry, real quick, just because you're rebooting the symposium this fall, that would be a good. That's correct. Yeah. 
place to do that as well. Cause that's where everybody from all the different museums and stuff will be in one place. Yep. Yeah, no, I really, I really appreciate that. Um, it's funny, the evolution of the card, because when I first started this, I, I wanted to be super apolitical and I didn't want people just to like, you know, at first I, I didn't want them to be like, oh, it's just a gun company. It's a, just a gun company, you know, like it is gun people like, you know, I didn't want. So at first I, I made everything very generic. Right. And then uh, I realized how important it was to kind of own it like for gun owners. Right. So like the evolution of the card started off with this like generic thing, mental health, everybody has it. Da, da, da. And then, you know, we came out basically swinging saying like, uh, you know, if you read, the, I'm going to read the part of the cards as firearms owners, we often have a tough time admitting we need help. Right. So I was like, okay, we're going to come out and say like, we're from the firearms industry. We are. And we say it, we're gun people who want to help other gun people. Um, and on the flip side of that, we're trying to encourage you have people like Jake Wiskirchen, right? Who admit like he had to come out of the, uh, he always says that it's funny when he says that he goes, I, I had to come out of the gun owning closet as a clinician. Um, and he was like, I actually took a lot of grief for it. Um, but I thought I had to be the first one to do it. Cause when I first met Jake, who's now on the board of directors and he is like the face of walk the talk America, basically. Um, he had said, look, I, I really like what you're doing. I want to have you on my show. He had a show called, or he has a show called Naga Notes. It was the first mental health uh, community show that I was on, uh, which I was super proud of. Like, I was like super excited. And I, here we are in like the green room before the show. And he's like, look, I can't, I can't, I'm a gun owner, but we can't talk about that on the show. And of course I was just like, oh, that's fine. Right. But then it's funny because he realized we need more gun owners or clinicians to come out who are pro-gun to say I am. Um, because if you look at psychology today or anybody that has a profile anywhere, they usually tell you what they specialize in. And that that's is such a, you know, there's so many different categories, everything from little people, LGBTQ airline pilots. Like that was one that blew me away. I was like, wow, like people specialize in that. Like, so that throwing- makes me a little nervous that they're their own <laughs> category. Not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, you know, it's funny though, because I was like, why? why isn't there a two, a friendly one? You know what I mean? Like that just makes sense to me. Cause like, I, and it's, it's really weird. I mean, I, last week I was in Denver meeting with the VA and NSSF and there was a lot of mental health clinicians in the room. And I actually brought up that point. I was like, why is it so hard for clinicians to be like, I'm two, a friendly. It doesn't even mean you shoot guns. You know what I mean? It just means that you, Hey, I'm signaling that if you're a firearms owner, you can come here. Because if I had a dollar for everybody that came through the website or called Walk to Talk America that was like, I want to go see somebody, who do I talk to? I wouldn't even have to ask for money. <laughs> like, it's that bad. Um, which shows there's a need for this, right? There's well, a need for both sides. And it's kind of crazy that it's like so hard, as you mentioned, for like the clinician side of it to to admit that they're pro that. Because, I mean... One, I mean, I'm in Wyoming, so this is obviously biased, but like all of my personal, like if I go to the dentist, if I go to the doctor, if I go to wherever I go that I need like a healthcare specialist and they make small talk as I'm in the office, like, what do you do? I curate the Cody Firearms Museum. Oh, I love guns. I'm going shooting next week. Like they all are into guns. And then all the number of people that like I meet in the gun collecting world when we like travel to gun shows, the number of like doctors and like across all specialties, like. ER doctors, mental health, like everybody, like any kind of healthcare person. Cause you know, I mean, 
the stereotypes are there for somewhat of a reason, but like if you're a, a middle-aged guy with a lot of disposable income as how the doctors are often happen to be a nat- it's like, it's almost like a natural fit is your hobby is some form of firearms, whether it's like high-end shotguns or gun collecting or just shooting in general, like those hobbies just seem to be there. And I don't know what the actual percentage breakdown is, but it just seems to me that so many people in that professional world, like their hobby includes firearms. And then they never, ever talk about it outside of like that hobby. Like, so it's, it's, I guess it's strange to me that it, it's so prevalent within the, that world as like ownership, but so uncommon for them to like, want to talk, like to admit it, I guess. Yeah. Well, Jake had told me, cause like, you know, I, once again, I, I was naive to it. I was just like, what's the big deal. And he was kind of like, oh, it's, you know, people will look at you cross-eyed, you know, and uh, he'd be a great person to have eventually on Ashley uh, to tell his stories and the struggles he's had with his own community and getting them to understand like what Walk to Talk America is trying to do and kind of embrace gun culture, you know, tell them like, you need to open your mind to this. Now, obviously like the statistics of having the the people come through the course is showing that there are people that want that knowledge. Um, and I've seen some really great success stories. Um, I just was on the phone with somebody from Oregon. We went and we threw the course up in Oregon uh, about six months ago. And one of the people that went through the course uh, contacted me yesterday. And the first thing out of her mouth was, you'll never believe this, but I was, I went to a range the other day and shot, you know, cause we didn't, we didn't shoot when we were in Oregon. We just had the classroom. Um, and when we threw the course up there, uh, we had ARs and everything, um, you know, all kinds of firearms for people to touch. And, and um, the first person who raised her hand was this lady. And it was funny because one of the directors was telling me, they're like, it's amazing. She's up there holding an AR because she is like the most anti-gun one of us. Right. And that, and now fast forward to the conversation I had the other day where I'm helping her on some projects up in Oregon, you know, her saying I went to the range and now we're talking about it. Right. And I'm like, were you nervous? Like, you know, I said, it's pretty, it could be a trip traumatic experience. Cause like, and I was, I'm telling her like my first time at a range, I was like, I didn't realize this was this loud. Right. Like there's all, so like I'm literally jumping, jumping, you know, and she's like, yeah, yeah, but we're talking about it. And now we've seen this, this evolution, right. I, she'll never be a gun person per se. Right. She's never going to be like this person is like, let's go. Well, who knows? Maybe. Right. But we're, we're seeing her step out of her comfort zone and kind of own it and understand like, yeah, I got to start. If I want to, if I truly want to save lives and help people, I have to accept that some people love firearms and it's a big part of their life. Right. Like uh, as gun people, I mean, I'm sure I have so many friends that all they can talk about is firearms. You know what I mean? Like if they're over at my house, like it, it just, they naturally start talking about firearms. They can't help it. It's just it's so much embedded in their, their, their brain and everything that they do that they love it. So uh, it's super important that I think clinicians understand that. Um, well, and I, I mean, yeah, because the, the biggest concern is the fact that, you know, states have their own ways of handling, you know, therapy and reporting. And if you have someone that doesn't like guns as a therapist and they don't understand it. I mean, you know, it, it's so important that they understand nuance because just because someone came to get help at one point, you know, and then they say they're a gun owner does not mean 
you know, that they can't own firearms, you know? And, and so it's so important to be getting more people out there to go, okay, I may not like guns, but now I understand that if my client is like having a hard time, but then they're like, or even just like routine therapy, and but that they're a gun owner, that a gun owner is not being a gun owner and seeking help is not necessarily a red, you know, a red flag. Right. Or they're not necessarily something that, you know, you have to report just because they're a gun owner. Yeah. Well, Jake could tell you that too. I mean, I don't want to speak for Jake, but like he's, he's had instances where he, you know, he owns Zephyr wellness. So he has like three locations in Reno. Um, so he has a bunch of clinicians working underneath him and he's had instances where people, you know, his own staff has come to him and said, I was just in a therapy session and somebody said this, should we be alarmed? And Jake's like, absolutely not. Right. Like, but they don't, they don't know. Right. And, but that's the great thing about having somebody there to say like, you know, it, and let me give you an example, right? Like if, if one of our friends says I had an anxiety yesterday and I went to the range and I shot a thousand rounds off and I felt so much better where we know that's lead therapy, right? We're like, Oh, that's cool. We don't even think that that's a big deal. Like sometimes we might even say you only shot a thousand. Right. 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 Like, um, but if a clinician hears that and they don't understand, they might be alarmed. You know, they, they might not just be trying to take your guns. They just might be alarmed or concerned. So it's like, these are the things that I think we need to get out of the way um, that prevent, you know, their barriers to uh, healthcare, right? Their barriers to go get help when you're afraid. And, you know, you did, you mentioned different states have different ways of handling it. And there's some states that are absolutely awful, right? Like New York state, that's not a good place to go. Like the, the safe act is not so safe. Like you could lose your gun rights really quick. And we have instances of that. And that's what we're, we're working with mental health America to try to, you know, get the mental health community to understand that you don't want people to not get help because they're afraid to lose a right. That's going to create more chaos and death and tragedy than anything else. Um, but then there are other States where a clinician can absolutely not take your firearms. I mean, unless you really are going off the rails with something, right? Um, but we we have to understand as a society that it's not a one-size-fits-all blanketed way of handling things. And I think that's the biggest issue with the firearms industry. We've spent so many years not discussing this with the nuance that you talked about that um, people automatically hear guns, suicide prevention, or guns and mental health and think, no, 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 those two don't go together. It's really funny you mentioned that story because like the, so in like growing up, I grew up around firearms. We didn't have a ton, but we had like stuff that was like utilitarian around the farm. So we had a couple of 22s so like for pest control. We had some like other hunting guns because my brother hunted a little. So if I had a bad day at like middle school, once I was sort of old, old enough to like use firearms, like my parents trusted me to use firearms safely on my own. If I had a bad day at middle school, I would like come home from school and throw my backpack in my room. I'd grab our Remington Fieldmaster and I'd go and I would shoot like at least a hundred rounds. Like we had this, we had this, per, like we had our own little shooting range. It was like a railroad tie, like into a bank. So you could set, you know, targets on it. You could set soda cans on it, like whatever. And I would just sit there and like for an hour or two or more, I would just like shoot. Like that was like, but it's saying that today, it, like saying that in this setting, it makes a lot of sense to you guys. Like, that was a pretty common experience in the gun community. Like, all right, I, 
I'm going to the range, as you said, like lead therapy, like I'm just going to shoot for a while. Like that's a perfect, like things got a little crazy. I'm just going to go Zen out and shoot a bit. But to say that in other settings sounds like Danny went home from middle school and he just shot a hundred rounds. Like, yeah, is this the next mass shooter? Like, that's insane. Like, why would you do that? But I don't know. That to me is like a really common experience and something I did a ton. I don't know how many bricks of 22 I burned up in seventh and eighth grade, but it was a ton. Yeah. It's really interesting because there, I, over the last four years, I have these like really awesome stories, right? Like uh, things are, I'm not a very religious person, but there's things that have lined up and and have happened in the walk the talk America journey, which, you know, I'm like, God, that's weird. It gives you the chills. Right. But I remember when I first started walk the talk America and I had a friend who, um, who had another friend and we're all connected through social media. And she had told my friend, I want to talk to Mike about walk talk America. And um, he invited me to lunch and I had no idea what I was doing at this lunch, but I was talking about, walk talk America and the things the struggles we were having and what we were trying to do. And, um, she eventually goes, uh, I want to tell you a story. And, uh, she goes, uh, a few years ago, something happened to me that if I had access to a firearm, I wouldn't be here right now. And at first my brain was like, Oh boy, I'm going to get reprimanded or something for being in the firearms." But actually she was, she was talking about, um, she didn't go get help. Uh, because of the stigma of, of, of mental illness and, and her fire, uh, her job, right. Um, she was afraid that she would lose it. You know, she didn't want people to lose faith in her. She was, she gave this whole story. It was very interesting. And then, uh, later on that night, I was talking to somebody who is a writer in the, the firearms industry and he's a vet and he was in Afghanistan and, and, uh, and I was telling him about Walk Talk America and how I wanted to support it. And he was like, look, I'm about to tell you something that I've never told anybody before. But now that you're you're putting it out there, I feel comfortable talking about it. Um, and he said, when I got back from Afghanistan, I had PTSD so bad that he goes, if I didn't have my firearm, he goes, I wouldn't be here to tell you this story. And I got chills because I was like, oh, my God, somebody just said that exact same thing. But it was in like the opposite universe earlier that day. Right. And I thought about that. I was like, wow, how many people have needed their firearm to actually get them through the day? I'm not talking about just in self-defense. Right. But somebody like a vet, somebody that's comfortable being on a range or something, and that makes them handle whatever it is they're going through. But it's really interesting. One of the other things that I thought was really cool about that story, because I was a then I wanted to pick his brain because I was just like, OK, what, what stopped you besides the, you know, having the outlet of being able to go fire your firearm? at a range. And he was just like, I didn't want to also contribute to another negative statistic to the gun community. And it, I can't even, it's hard for me to still process that, but that's, the, I have to understand that there are people that care about the two a so much that he thought like that. Right. He was like, I'm not going to add to the negative outcomes of firearms. So it can be used against us. Um, and I thought, wow, there's probably a lot of other people that think like that as well. Right. So it's just, you know, I think we have to we have to get a better understanding of uh, of of what firearms ownership is all about and what it means to different people. Um, and I get it. Like, I'm not a golfer, so like, if anything bad happens to golf courses or golfing, I'm like, eh, I don't care. Right? I, I get why people don't want to take the time to learn. <laughs> but you know, golf's not out. You know, golf. That's not you're not seeing people take their lives with golf clubs, right? Um, 
we have a firearm suicide by firearm issue. I'm not sure that I'm not even sure that if we reduce suicide by firearms, we're going to reduce, I know this is a very morbid thought, but we're going to reduce suicides overall. Right. Like I, I don't know that. Um, people ask me all the time. They're like, why do you focus on the gun? And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> Cause I'm from the firearms industry. Right. If I, if I worked in rope, maybe I would focus on those type of things. Right. Or I worked in medicine, you know, I, I would focus on that. But to me, I think we can do our best to contribute to trying to stop negative outcomes with firearms. Um, you know, and that's why we, we, we have the focus on the gun. Well, and I think uh, I'm going to wrap it up just because I, I do think we need to have Jake on at, you know, at some point um, to talk a little bit more about, you know, as you, as we briefly touched on, but dealing with all the different types of, you know, issues with States and navigating, you know, how to get help and all of that. Cause I know like just in one conversation I had with Jake, it's, it can be really complicated, but so I think it's, you know, something that it would be really good to, you know, have him on as, you know, someone who is actually in the mental health profession. Um, but no, I just want to thank you because this has been like a really interesting conversation. Like I said at the beginning, I was right. We stayed on topic and, <laughs> and it is a little bit different than something that we talk about. Um, but before uh, we leave, can you give the link to the mental health screening? And then um, can you mention the new line for, is it the suicide hotline? Just so that, you know, people, if you are going through something right now and you do need help, you know, just kind of summarize where they can go, what they can do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you, if you just want more information and you, you're not, you don't want to screen, just go to WTTA.org. Okay. Then you can, and, and on all social media, we're at, at walk the talk us. Um, you know, if you just want to check out, see what the organization is all about, see all the other things we're doing. We're, we're much more than just the courses I was talking about in the mental health screenings. But if you want to take a, a free and anonymous mental health screening, go to WTTA.org forward slash love. Um, like I said, there's 13 of them on there. Uh, there's a couple that are in Spanish, uh, you know, and like I said, you don't have to be in mental health crisis to do it. Just go, go check it out. Right. Just see where you, where you fall after you take it. Um, the 988 number. That's what you're talking about. The text. The yeah. Number. Cause that just changed. Right. Yeah. That just went into effect like two weeks ago. We actually had to update our card uh, to reflect that, that now that is, that's active, but that's really cool. If you're in a mental health crisis, uh, you, know, you text 988 and you can get to a mental health professional. Um, you know, don't be afraid to do that. Uh, you know, I never, I, I understand people are fearful and they don't want to lose their rights, but what good is your right? If you're not here. Right. Like that's the whole point is to stay around, like be here. Um, 98 is a great way, uh, you know, to get in contact with somebody if you need immediate assistance. So, and everything's temporary, uh, no matter what crisis you you're in, it is temporary and you guys got to remember that. So that's my parting shot. We made it past 20 minutes. I know we did. I warned, I warned Mike at the beginning of this, that, you know, we go anywhere from like 20 minutes to we're over an hour now. Look at us. That's you. I mean, that that's, you knowing your shit. And <laughs> because if it's Danny and I, uh, we can actually go that long because we never prepare. Well, no, I appreciate you having me on and, uh, you know, and thank you for being part of WTTA, Ashley. And, and I think there's gonna be some great things coming up to, to get more, more of our board members involved. I I'm the worst at that. Um, 
you know, but you've always been so kind. And so like, tell me what to do or tell me how I can help. And then uh, you've been proactive on yourself by doing things. So I, I really appreciate you. Well, thank you. All right, Danny, do you have, I was just going to say, I got to do my classic one more thing. And this is so Camila can cut a soundbite for the promo, but we talk about all sorts of stuff on this podcast from like the boring, dry, nerdy stuff. That's mostly me to hey. like fun, interesting history. Uh, sorry. I didn't think you wanted to be included in that descriptor. I was trying to only put that juju on me. Okay. You're, yeah, yeah. you're cool, nerdy stuff. I'm boring, nerdy stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but if you only ever listen to a single episode of this podcast, it should be this one. So that's what I have to say. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right. Thanks, guys. And we will talk to you next week.